Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to Surviving My Podcast. This is episode 20. You've just tuned into Surviving My Past. A survivor podcast about my life with dissociation, anxiety, and PTSD. Join me in raising awareness and inspiring others. Are you ready? Let's rock this healing journey. And we are back. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm super glad to have you here. Definitely stoked that you're listening. And if you are a first-time listener, welcome. Welcome to the show. I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you found it, and I hope that you'll enjoy it. If you are a regular listener, welcome back. Always glad to have you here on this journey with me. And uh, let's see if we can jump right into this today. So I thought I would talk about hypervigilance. And hypervigilance is something that uh, I suffer with. Uh, as do countless survivors of abuse or trauma. Anyone that has PTSD oftentimes will exhibit some symptoms of hypervigilance. So let's kind of jump in first with just a definition of it for those that uh, maybe have not heard the term or are maybe a little unclear about it. Um, As defined on goodtherapy.org, hypervigilance is an increased state of vigilance and awareness that may be caused by fear and anxiety as well as certain mental health conditions. People experiencing hypervigilance typically exhibit symptoms in an attempt to avoid danger. Hypervigilance is not a diagnosis in itself, but it can be symptomatic of some mental health conditions. It may manifest in slightly different ways in different people, but common outward signs, excuse me. <clears throat> but common outward signs include an increased startle reflex, dilated pupils, increased heart rate, elevated blood pressure, obsessive avoidance of perceived threats, and overestimation of a situation's threatening nature. And uh, you can just Google hypervigilance if you want more information about it, Um, because it's very interesting in that um, it indeed is not necessarily a diagnosis, like people don't just have hypervigilance, they have it for a reason. Be it a trauma survivor because of the military, they have PTSD, or a trauma survivor of abuse like I am, um, that has PTSD, it's kind of a side effect of post-traumatic stress disorder, if you will. And basically, I wanted to talk a little bit about it because it's very apparent in my life and in the lives of a lot of people that I talk with all the time online and through comments on the blog and emails and whatnot. Um, it became very apparent to me even more, not that it was anything new, but uh, recently I was doing a stint for uh, jury duty. Uh, here where I live. I was summoned for a week of jury duty and basically you go to your local courthouse in my case and you sit in this gigantic room with a couple of hundred other people and you wait for your name to be called to potentially be a juror on a case of some type or magnitude. But when you're not actively involved in a case, you are sitting in this big room doing pretty much a whole lot of nothing. There's no internet access, there's no newspapers, uh, you can't have your cell phone. Um, you can read books, magazines, and you know, Kindles like e-readers and those types of things, but no internet access. So you're basically left to a lot of your own vices, and you're left with um, a lot of downtime and a lot of boredom. So I spent a lot of my time while I was sitting in that room reading 
and sleeping and people watching, uh, as did, as did a lot of other people there, uh, all doing pretty much the same thing. Some would interact with others. Uh, some would keep to themselves. There was a group that played cards every day. Some people that would put puzzles together. Others that would sleep. Others that happened to know someone who was there and they would chat the day away. Um, so, you know, various types of people dealing with the boredom in all different types of ways. Uh, but one thing for me um, was and is hypervigilance. And that is being keenly aware of who's around me because I'm in an unfamiliar situation with people I don't know. And while it's seemingly safe, um, it still doesn't lessen the effects of hypervigilance very much. I'm keenly aware of who's around me, how close they are around me, who's coming around the corner, uh, who brushes against my leg when when I'm sitting in a chair, uh, who says hello to me. If you're walking into the restroom and the door opens suddenly because somebody's coming out, that's a startle reflex. Uh, That's part of hypervigilance for me. So definitely things like that. And again, because I'm in a room where there's security and there are lots of people and it's about as safe as you can be being in a courthouse with so much security and the fact that you have to go through metal detectors and scanners and wands and everything else and have all your, your belongings checked when you go in, still though, the effects of hypervigilance are there. And uh, I found myself throughout the week getting startled very easily, um, looking over my shoulder, even when I was sitting and reading a book, minding my own business, of course, just like everybody else. I still had one eye on my surroundings and I was listening as closely as I could to people around me, footsteps, uh, watching out of the corner of my eye to see who was coming towards me. Um, Like I said, a couple of times when I went into the restroom, there was somebody coming out at the same time and it startled me. Uh, you know, things of that nature that happen all the time as an increased startle response um, just because of the past trauma and the way that our mind works and the perceived threats, even though they aren't necessarily there or real, we still think that they are based on our past. Uh, some other ways that hypervigilance affects me, and maybe it affects you too, is at work. For example, my work, there aren't a multitude of people And I've been there a long time, so I know everybody, but I work in a cubicle. So there are people that sit behind me and catty corner to me, and my boss's office is behind me and to the left. And he likes to come up behind me and tap me on the shoulder just because he thinks it's funny when it startles me. And it does drive me nuts, and he knows it, but he still does it, and it's something I just have to live with. Um, That's a whole story for a whole other day about dealing with it and... Uh, talking to others about it, but when you do that and it still doesn't help, sometimes you just resign to the fact that you have to live your life that way. And, um, you know, especially when you're at work because you have to go there all the time, it's just part of my existence. So, anyways, moving on, I have two monitors at my desk and I keep a mirror taped to one of the monitors so I can see who's behind me. So, oftentimes I'm able to head off at the pass anybody who's coming up behind me with an intent to startle me or not. I know who's coming around me, so I feel better. But because I I get tunnel vision and I get laser focused when I'm working on something at work or elsewhere. I oftentimes don't always look up and that's when somebody startles me. And sometimes it's on accident and I I don't begrudge them or hold it against them, but it still freaks me out and I jump sky high, my heart races and I just get all flustered and my face turns red. It's just really exhausting because it happens all the time. So, you know, it's just something that I live with. Again, work is a very safe atmosphere. I've been there a long time. I know everybody. 
nothing bad is really going to happen there. But I always think that there's a threat of something happening, and I'm always very aware of my surroundings, way more than the average person who gets startled every now and then. Another way happens at home. Obviously, I know my way around my apartment. There aren't that many people here. And, for example, if I'm in the kitchen making something or I'm sitting on the couch watching TV with my back towards the hallway, which goes to the kitchen, sometimes my son, one of my sons will come around the corner and not even try and startle me. Like, they'll just walk around the corner and I will freak out and jump sky high and usually yell. Not, not not yelling at them, but just yell and freak out because, you know, I'm, I'm startled and I'm so focused on what I'm doing that I wasn't paying attention to myself, excuse me, that I wasn't paying attention to my surroundings, um, which is odd because I normally try to pay attention to my surroundings. So when I don't, the effects of hypervigilant are even more exacerbated because then I jump even higher, I yell even louder. And like my, my heart rate goes from a resting beat to like a million beats a minute in like a split second. So even someplace safe, again, like work or at your house, hypervigilance is very, very present, very prevalent. Another example would be when I'm driving. Now, being vigilant when you're driving is not a bad thing. In fact, it's a good thing. You want to be aware of your surroundings, obviously, and what's happening around you, but not to the point where... You can't ever focus on the road and you're so worried about every little thing every second that you don't even actually ever get out and drive in the first place or you're so scared that you drive yourself up a wall because you are just so worried about somebody around you, behind you, in front of you, cutting you off, everything that you don't, you aren't able to have a balance between being vigilant and being careful and being so vigilant and so over careful that you can't actually pay attention to what you're doing or enjoy the ride to wherever it is you're going. And that can sometimes keep people from even going out, as I said, in the first place, because they're so afraid of what could happen and so aware of what might happen that they just figure they're just going to stay home and avoid that altogether. So that's something that I know hypervigilance affects uh, people in that way, uh, because I've talked to them about that and they suffer from that. People that have interacted with me on the blog or other survivors I've talked to on online Twitter chats and those types of things. So It affects people in various different ways and to varying different degrees. And again, you know, I want to stress hypervigilance isn't just about being a survivor of childhood sexual abuse like I am or narcissistic abuse, you know, like I am. Anyone who has PTSD can have hypervigilance, you know, whether you get it from the military or whether it's from some type of trauma that you suffered. It's very, uh, it's very hard to deal with and it's very frustrating because you feel like you live your life always on the edge and you can't ever fully relax. Uh, Another example would be, for example, even when I'm in my own house um, at night, if I'm laying in bed and my son knocks on the door, it'll freak me out um, and I'll get startled. Like if I'm just kind of half asleep or I'm laying there playing on my phone and I'm just really either not paying attention, which is odd, or I'm still paying attention of what could happen that even the slightest sound of the cats running up and down the stairs or my son knocking on the door freaks me out. So there's really, it's hard to kind of deal with it because whether you're totally vigilant about what's around you or you're laser focused on something and not paying attention to what's around you or you're as relaxed as you can possibly be, you're still always feeling the effects of hypervigilance in some way. And as a survivor, I can tell you, and if you're a survivor or someone who has PTSD, you can attest It's just not a fun way to live life. Um, One of the things that I do to try and deal with it and combat it, if you will, 
is to really just reassure myself that I'm safe. Um, say to myself, you're safe. Nothing's going to happen to you here. You know these people. You're in a familiar surrounding. You can take care of yourself. Nobody's going to hurt you. Nobody's going to abuse you. So being a survivor of abuse, even though the actions and the trauma didn't happen like a spur of the moment type of thing, you know, like a surprise, um, I was groomed and uh, over time. But the fact is, is that ever since then, hypervigilance affects me and that I'm always worried about who's around me, who's going to hurt me, as I said before, who's potentially going to try and do something to me. Even though I'm an adult, I can take care of myself now. That's just one of the side effects of it. So, you know, as I said, it affects so many people in so many different ways and to varying degrees. You know, everybody gets startled now and then. But, you know, as I said, it's it affects survivors and those with PTSD in just an exponential way. So I thought I'd share that with you today. And if you have hypervigilance, I'd love to hear about it, how you work through it. Um, how you deal with it, strategies that you've learned. Um, maybe you do what I do and that you have written yourself notes to keep around your computer, around your house, in the bathroom, in the kitchen to reassure yourself that you are safe. You put a reminder on your phone to reassure that you are safe and that you're in control and nobody can hurt you anymore. Uh, maybe you walk around saying, I am safe, I'm okay, I can take care of myself, things are all right. Basically reassuring and building up your confidence and reassuring yourself that you are okay and that you're not in danger anymore. And, you know, perhaps that's something you have to say all the time. Perhaps that's something you have to say just now and then to help reinforce it. But, you know, depending on where you are at in your healing journey, it could be something you need to do all the time or just once in a while. So that's, you know, again, something that I do. Perhaps that's something that you do. And it does help because the more that we reinforce uh, that mindset in our brain and we retrain our brain to deal with situations in a more positive, reassuring, calm, non-threatening way, we can rebuild those neural pathways and retrain our minds to not always look at every situation as being something where we are potentially in danger. So again, I thought I'd share that with you. I hope it helps. I'd love to hear your information, your story, your thoughts, your comments. Uh, I hope you'll consider sharing this with somebody who needs it. Um, Again, leave me a comment here on the podcast. You can contact me anytime, matt at survivingmypast.net. And if you'd like to be a guest here on the podcast at some point, just let me know. Uh, Hit me up and we can get you on the show, share your story, talk about mental health, talk about anything mental health related. Um, I love to have you as a guest here. Um, I do do guest podcasters from time to time and of course guest bloggers as well. So if you want to share your story in a blog post form, you are certainly welcome to do that. Contact me anytime through the contact forms on the website, survivingmypast.net, or again, just email me directly, matt at survivingmypast.net. So with that, let's wrap this up, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate your support. You guys rock. You are amazing. And I will talk to you soon. Thanks again for listening to Surviving My Podcast, presented by survivingmypast.net, a blog about living with dissociation, anxiety, and PTSD as a result of childhood sexual abuse, narcissistic abuse, and bullying. My opinions are my own, and I do not offer any type of mental health or physical health advice or treatment. I encourage you to seek out the help of a professional therapist or medical doctor for any mental health or physical health needs. I'm just a regular guy sharing my story of survival and hoping to inspire others. Please be sure and follow me on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and Instagram, all at Surviving My Past. Have a great day and rock your survivor journey.